off the show today. Much like you just heard on 1A, we're going to be talking about methods to increase your sense of inner well-being and how that could change the world. Well, how? University of San Francisco law professor Rhonda McGee says fostering our capacity for compassion is the key to not only helping ourselves, but to helping others. Her new book is called The Inner Work of Racial Justice, and I got to speak with her about her, uh, her upbringing in North Carolina and the book itself. So I grew up in a time when, um, you know, the barriers to inclusion were very, very real, but but we were also, you know, working to disrupt them. So the desegregating and integrating era, era of the, the 70s and 80s, you know, so um, that is all to say that I grew up um, in the midst of these the changes that are that um, were were brought about by the civil rights movement but also in the midst of the backlash to those changes and you know I felt my own body my own experience to be right on the line in in, in all of that and so you know dealing with race and racism has been a part of my life and um, one of the sources of inspiration to me for integrating uh, an inner dimension of this actually comes uh, not from all the fancy schooling I did at the University of Virginia, where I got like three degrees, undergraduate law and graduate sociology degrees, and not from the training I got as a military officer, where I became, um, you know, a lieutenant in the military, uh, in the reserves. No, the, the, what, the inspiration for me for bringing a kind of a holistic approach to how to address justice and injustice came from, you know, that little house I grew up in North Carolina, grew up in in North Carolina or spent a lot of time in, raised with my grandmother um, in part. And seeing my grandmother get up every day before dawn and centering herself on the sense of the importance of her life uh, that her life mattered and that um, she could make a difference in despite not having a fancy job um, or in fact, not not even having very much in the way of formal education, but she knew enough to know that um, there's a way to start your day and a way to be with the experience of your life um, that can help um, manifest the power that we all have to make a difference. And so um, when I found myself in San Francisco teaching law, ultimately, um, teaching classes around critical race theory, race and racism in our legal history, it became obvious to me that we needed more than simply learning arguments, learning historical facts even. Uh, we actually needed a way to integrate the social and emotional dimensions, the what we knew from our own experiences into the conversation. And so the mindfulness that I had already started to lean on for my own you know, support moving through the world was something I started to bring to my students more than, you know, 15 years ago was when I started. And that's when I began that journey that led to the writing of the book. Can't imagine that there couldn't be a better time to be having this conversation, given everything happening in the world and the, the conjunction of these two things, the incredible stress that we're all under with the COVID pandemic and this real focus back on civil rights in America, uh, especially for Black Americans right now. I guess address that first of all, before I get into my next question that, you know, your writing of this book and, and, and why even in your and when you were going to school, there wasn't more of a, a focus on inner work along with this outer work. Right. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think that, um, 
we are kind of um, in the midst of a moment. And I and I'm not sure we could have gotten to this level of receptivity for the integration of the inner work as a support for doing outer work. I'm not sure we could have gotten here without what we've gone through. In other words, I certainly had this insight about bringing these things together, you know, nearly 20 years ago. It wasn't something that I had encountered in school. Certainly, I, you know, we didn't encounter much in the way of inner anything, right? In my K through 12, my university schooling up until then. So we've benefited, I've benefited from this um, kind of shift in our culture to become more receptive to this idea of mindfulness and compassion generally. But even then, there wasn't an inclusion, really a, a focus on how those practices could support us in this interpersonal and systemic collective work of social change. Um, so the work that I did to, to explore mindfulness um, over the years, you know, I was often the only one thinking about you know, how to bring this into our work around racism. I mean, no, you know, so um, I think that it's part of our culture to just hyper-focus on the individual, hyper-focus on what are the specific things that I need to do. And um, frankly, maybe as a part of a legacy of patriarchy, I'm just going to name it. Um, you know, we've tended to kind of dichotomize in our places and higher institute, the places where we have sources of development, self-development and education, we have tend to kind of um, divide the cognitive from the emotional. Right. And haven't really understood until recently that all learning is social and emotional. It's not merely cognitive. Um, we haven't really understood until recently um, how important it is for us to uh, be sensitive to the fact that our classrooms, our workplaces are places where trauma is in the midst. And we might need to attend to our needs for healing as we go. Uh, in other words, there we've fortunately we've been coming through a time where we've all as a culture started to understand that inner work matters. And then, of course, we had this moment of pausing with the reckoning uh, with racism coming out of the unfortunate killing of George Floyd. And then the intersecting that, of course, with the climate distress that we're all feeling and the public health distress is coronavirus. I do think all of those changes have made it a little bit more possible and maybe imperative for us to, to disrupt these patterns that we've inherited, that our schools still train us in, right? Where we compartmentalized and we're focused on external success. We're now much more understanding that there is an inner dimension to everything. And I just feel grateful that I had already been working on how to bring this into dealing with race and, and social justice issues. And, and, and here we are able to share it together. Again, we're talking to Professor of Law Rhonda V. McGee, the author of the new book, The Inner Work of Racial Justice, Healing Ourselves and Transforming Our Communities Through Mindfulness, an unfortunate trend that I think we've all noticed uh, over the past number of years, especially in conservative or right-wing media, is is the misuse of, of terms like woke and, and, and triggered, triggering, um, and real, real cruel stuff as far as addressing the real pain that people are, are experiencing uh, in the country right now. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, and then I want to get into how you write about recognizing and addressing these racial disparities 
how people are doing it themselves and how they can use mindfulness as a technique to inspire more compassion and then that outer work. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for just getting us right into the meat of this. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of in a difficult, a really difficult time around in our culture, around addressing these issues. How we got here is kind of beyond the scope of what I can fully address, but I do think that um, what I do with my work is try to create space for exploring the underlying inputs to the distresses that we're feeling and the, you know, the, the, the particular um, buttons that are being pushed and the, you know, the temptations that are being dangled in front of everyone to, you know, to seize a narrative of a polarizing narrative, a kind of um, you know, dis- dismissing even cruel, and as you put it, in some ways, a way of responding to each other's pain. Who's benefiting from that? Um, I, you know, I think it's it's it, if if we if we have the eyes to see it, we can see that this is just um, you know there's money being made off of these patterns around how we're being trained to um, you know to to focus on extreme aggression, extreme emotions, and and aggression. Um, and and narratives of of you know universal victimization, and again that's infused in a culture of of a kind of capitalistic uh, appeal, a kind of way of using that to amass different types of power, including economic power, but not only that. So it's that weird intersection between technology, capitalism, and politics that I think is really being, you know, is part of what we're, we're dealing with. And these are structures that are hard for us to, to um, dismantle. But what we can do with mindfulness is recognize that to the degree that what the, the battle is, is, is it, it's for our attention. There's, a, there's an actual, you know, there's money to be made and politics to be kind of fomented around who can capture our attention. And mindfulness is an opportunity to, to say, wait a minute, my attention is my own. It is, you know, it's it, it. It may not be for sale, or if it's for sale, um, you know, let me set the terms. In other words, it's about, you know, really centering uh, on what we can do uh, to disrupt some of the ways that we are being drawn into, seduced into um, these, you know, kind of practices and um, systems and structures that foment uh, despair, negativity, cruelty, even violence. And um, really just saying, I'm gonna take a little bit more charge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, not give away my power. And this is not easy. And it's, you know, again, it, it's ongoing and it can feel a little bit like um, outsider work because our whole culture is like all in with technology, it seems. Um, so, and, and I'm, you know, we're using technology to make this happen. I'm not against technology, but I am calling for a, a wiser way of relating with technology because I do think that's like one of the hidden um, contributors, if you will, to all of what we are struggling with. And so, um, creating space then to address these issues um, and to bring in to the, the to kind of recommit or cultivate, if you will, a, a desire for empathic communication, compassionate communication, for healing, 
Um, and I'll say, I realize not everybody's going to be up for this, right? There are, there are, you know, this, this conversation and this approach is not going to necessarily be for everybody, but there are many people for whom this kind of approach is a benefit. I've seen it in the 20 or so years, 15 plus years, I've been bringing this approach to my students in law schools and lawyers and other folks in academia. It's gone all the way. Now I've presented at uh, parliament in the UK on these things. There are people all over the world now who are saying yes to a way of approaching these issues that is more holistically sophisticated and seeks to find the ways that we can strengthen our, our connection across lines of real and perceived difference um, and practice for the possibility inherent in interdependent, multicultural, multiracial society, rather than orienting ourselves around, you know, the pain points, the discomfort, the fear of change that is animating so much that's so difficult right now. One of my favorite astrologers, actually, she she's very she's very big into talking about social justice online. But one of the things she says, survival is not an individual burden. Survival. It's, it takes a community to help individuals survive, which has really been a powerful thing. I keep thinking again and again this past couple years. One, this might be a difficult one to answer, but what do you signals the, the difference, especially internally, between performative compassion and real compassion? Well, so whenever we're talking about performative, to me, if we're honest, right, we're we're open to seeing how whatever it is that we choose to do is really done for an audience out there, right? We're meant to kind of somehow get credit for something in the eyes of somebody. <laughs> um, and, and so if we can develop the will to hold ourselves accountable, you know, we, we navigate a social world. We're all trying to get attention. We're all trying to, you know, do it right. And to um, minimize the risk of being in the current vernacular canceled, right? Judged harshly. In other words, there are these external pressures and audiences, and we are all tempted sometimes to just constantly perform for them. But I really think that mindfulness is a, it's founded on ethics. It's founded on a call to really being conscious about how you want to be in this world. It's founded on the recognition that, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a, while we can we can have a lot of play and joy in our everyday experiences of being alive right now, and we should, and I think that's in and of itself a resistance me method, a joy, a, a kind of a justice project to experience joy and play. Um, at the same time, to live well at this moment is a serious thing too. Like we have to seriously decide how do we want to live well in the moments that we have and not take for granted that we have forever to figure this out. If the last year and a half hasn't taught us the preciousness of life and that it can um, end well before we expect it to, then we've missed an important message. And if we can center on life as a gift that I have right now, it doesn't mean I'm not making projects and plans that extend into the future. Yes, do that. But if we can embed in how we do what we do every moment, a sense of what it means to be in right relationship with each other, to treat each other justly right now, not to wait for that moment of revolution or change or whatever it is, or the new policy or the new law. 
look for that, work for that, organize for that, vote for that, but at the same time, treat ourselves and each other with that, that kind of justice that is what love looks like in public and in private. Um, that I think animates my work and the work of so many people, actually, Martin Luther King and others, Angela Davis, even Colin Kaepernick. You know, you ask him what motivated him. I write about this in the book as well. We resist out of love, love that says we all deserve to thrive, all of us. And if we can embed that in the projects that we take on, then I think we can make a difference right here, right now. Before we wrap up, um, would you mind leading us through a, a brief mindfulness exercise? I certainly would. So just pause right here, right now and feel the sense of the body in connection with the earth. You might notice the points of contact between the body and the earth by noticing the feet on the floor. If your feet are in contact with the floor right now, or if you're seated in a cushion, just feel yourself being held by the chair. And again, always underneath that by the earth itself. And now maybe taking one or two deeper than usual breaths. And then just resting in a pace of breathing that is easeful and nourishing for you in this moment. And noticing if there's any way in which this conversation has brought up any challenge or difficulty. And inviting right here, right now, the support of a kind, loving embrace of whatever emotions are coming up for you. Just notice some fear, some anxiety, some sadness, or maybe even some joy, some hopefulness, whatever is coming up. I place one hand over my heart right now. I invite you to do the same and really just allow kind of a loving, touching in, connecting with what's alive in you right now. Breathing in and breathing out. Uh, now sensing what is well within you. So expanding perhaps beyond whatever, maybe if there's difficult emotion, noticing that difficult thoughts or bodily sensations, tightness somewhere. You notice that and then breathing out the sense of release, expansion, letting go, relaxation, sensing what is well and allowing yourself to be nourished by the simple sensations of breathing in and breathing out. And recognizing that these difficult moments we have are moments that we share with others um, we're not alone in our suffering. We're not alone in our desire to alleviate suffering, to be healed ourselves and to help heal. So breathing in, sensing into our common humanity around these difficulties and that you're not alone and breathing out the wish for well-being that encompasses each of us right here, right now. Again, breathing in, feeling the connectedness across humanity around these desires for, for thriving and flourishing, breathing out, extending the wish for well-being and ease to everyone here and beyond, those suffering most right now in our communities and around the world. So just resting in awareness of your good life, 
the goodness of your own heart, the possibility of this day to make a difference. I thank you so much for your moment of practice with me and for taking the time to join me for this reflective conversation today. <laughs>